All right. Love hearing those stories of how God is using, uh, working in and through and around uh, people in the midst of disruption. So uh, I hope you've been encouraged by some of those stories. And uh, a lot of them, if you want to rewatch them uh, in a way that you can, uh, they're all online and separate, uh, separated out. So if you just want to kind of rewatch that. So anyway, good morning, everyone. Good to be with you here today. Need to move this. Hang on. I'm learning to go not hands-free anymore preaching, so, but uh, anyway, it's great to be with you here this morning. Just a couple things. I just want to remind you that uh, Christmas is this week. In case you didn't know, it's coming. So uh, Christmas Eve, uh, we are, as we've told you, want to remind you we're doing one service this week at 4.30. It's going to be in the south lot, so we do ask you to park over here. Parking will be a little bit uh, limited, so feel free to pack out. Uh, don't come with multiple cars in your house, just, you know, and it, those of you who are more able, feel free to uh, park on the street or out on the, the gravel lot, and let's make it, uh, let's leave room for those who uh, it's a little less easy or their guests, so we want to make sure that we have enough parking, uh, but here's the idea behind it. It's this year we've been scattered in many ways, and uh, we would love to just be together one service Simple service, it's a candlelight, and we've talked about it before, but I want to remind you what this, the imagery of it as we light those candles. Just imagine you're driving by on the freeway, living in the neighborhood, and you see hundreds of lights shining. And the symbolism of that, the why we do that is we believe that Jesus is the light of the world. That's the point of Easter, what we, uh, Easter, Christmas, and Easter, but, uh, <laughs> but for Christmas, what we celebrate is that he is the light of the world, he has come, and he's present. And as we hold up those candles, we're representing when we, as people transformed by Jesus, live his ways. We want to be people who are living the ways of Jesus in our world, in our community. But this is a visible, symbolic reminder that the light shines in the darkness. And we believe this year, I kind of see Christmas Eve as a launching point for a new year for us. No, 2021 is not going to magically get rid of everything we've been through this last year. It's, it's not. But we believe that for us, we're looking at Christmas Eve saying we're going to double down. We're still about helping people discover life in Christ. But we want to see that to be manifest in and among us at Seacoast in ways that we've never seen before at this church in the 30 plus years it's existed. We believe that God wants to do something in our community and he wants to use you and me as part of that. So Christmas Eve, come out, celebrate with us. There's plenty of room out there. Uh, to, we will have a few chairs available for those who are unable to carry their own and things like that. We want to be hospitable, but bring it, be willing to stand, bring a blanket, bring a chair. You say, but that's not convenient. Nope, but come out and celebrate anyway. We care so much, uh, and we want to be together so much that, you know what, it's really not that inconvenient. It'll be uh, such a great time to be together. So with me on that, invite, uh, invite your neighbors, your friends. Those who are even concerned, there's, there's plenty of room for physical distancing and all of that. So we believe it will be a safe, great environment to celebrate Jesus. So let's pray as we get started. God, we thank you here this morning. We thank you for the story and the message of Christmas. We thank you, Lord, as we just heard from the Shoemaker family, Lord, that in your dis the disruption, you often have something that you want to do in our lives. God, in the disruption, sometimes you're stripping away the things that we were putting our hope in and are anchoring our lives upon. Lord, you take it away and you 
help us seek more clearly what really matters in life. God, you help us see more clearly some of our weaknesses and insecurities and the things that we cling to, Lord, and you are teaching us that you are our rock. And so we thank you that even in disruption, even in pain and inconvenience, we thank you that you are a God that is with us and the story of Christmas is that you are here. And so we thank you for that truth. We ask now, believing that you are present, that you would transform and change and speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Luke chapter 2. We're in a series, Advent series this year, The Divine Disruption. We think of when Jesus came, what a disruption that was. Uh, you know, a few years, well, it's been a while now. Uh, my family, we were living in Jerusalem, and uh, my wife and three boys and I lived there. And, well, we, we lived just outside of the old city of Jerusalem, so it's kind of a really historic, great place to live. But one time when we, we were there is the president of the United States, and at the time it was George Bush, he came to Jerusalem. Now, it was interesting because I had never lived in a city where the president came, and it took my, our family moving overseas to have that happen. So he came one day, or one week, and the, what it took to allow the President of the United States to travel and to stay in the Middle East was quite impressive. He stayed in a hotel called the King David Hotel. That was a hotel that I could look at, and I walked into the lobby once or twice, but that's about as much as I would ever be welcomed into a place like that. It has a, a historic hotel overlooking the old city. When he uh, went to stay there and they decided he'd go there, everyone who had reservations were moved outside of the hotel. No one allowed, was allowed to stay in there except for the president, his staff. And if you worked in the hotel and you were going to work there that week, you had to stay there. You'd check in and had to stay there. You could not leave for the entire week. They also uh, they, it constructed this huge tent over the parking lot so that when the president would come outside of the hotel, he got in one of very uh, quite a few different uh, black suburbans, so no one knew which one he was in, and they would leave, and they drove quite quickly through all the streets of Israel. They would be driving you know, 50, 60 miles an hour down every street. The uh, motorcycle police would come, and they would block off the roads, and he'd come. So it was very impressive to watch. We had a lot of People standing on tops of buildings uh, looking over the city. I don't know what they were doing up there uh, for that whole week, but, yeah, there was snipers everywhere. They had robots in the sewers um, patrolling underneath uh, the streets as well as in the hotel. So all throughout the city, things had changed. Now, it's kind of cool to see, but here's what it did. It also did is it totally messed with my bus route in the morning where I would have to take my bus from the, my house to the university, and now we couldn't go down the street we normally went because it went by the hotel. So they had to reroute us, not just us, but everyone else in the city. So things that used to take maybe a half hour, now we're taking an hour, two hours, and if the president was on the move, you could forget about it. The city was shut down for the time before he was coming, the time after. It was just this, we were disrupted. The one thing I realized is when the president comes to town, traffic is disrupted. Hotel reservations are disrupted. Your way of life, in some ways, are disrupted when the president comes to town. It's just everyone feels the effects. 
I was thinking about that and thinking, you know, it's very similar to when Jesus came to town, but in a very different way. The traffic wasn't all that disrupted, but the little town of Bethlehem was disrupted. A family was disrupted. It says that all of Jerusalem was disturbed. We find that in Matthew chapter 2. It was, they were disrupted when the king came to town. So when King Jesus showed up, if I thought it was bad with, with my bus route, just think of how the whole world was transformed when the king came to town. And when we look at this story, sometimes a Christmas story is so familiar that we forget how profound it would be. It's so familiar that maybe the symbols and the signs of it we just take for granted. And so today what I want to do is look at perhaps the most iconic portion of the story in Luke chapter 2. So iconic that we, we know the imagery, we know the symbols. We, even Linus on Charlie Brown shares, he quotes the text we're looking at. Uh, Kevin McAllister hides in one of the scenes in Home Alone as one of the symbols that we'll look at today. That's Macaulay Culkin, Home Alone. Okay, there you go. Those of you from that generation. It's so familiar that maybe we miss what a disruption it was. And what I want to show you today is that everything that happened, with this, they were expecting a Messiah hopefully one day, but everything they saw was unexpected. It wasn't how they anticipated and all of this was God's way of bringing his peace. And so we're going to look at today the unexpected symbols, the unexpected message, and the unexpected result of this Christmas story. So let's look at this in Luke chapter 2. It says this, in, the days, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of the inhabited earth. That was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all the people were on their way to register for the census, each to his own city. You would normally go to the city where you owned land or the city which you were from. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of the family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who is betrothed to him, and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in fields and keeping their watch over flock at night. An angel of the Lord suddenly stood near them. The glory of the Lord shone around, shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. So the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born to you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you, and you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly army of angels praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So again, a familiar story maybe for all of us here. Even if you're not so familiar with scripture, perhaps you've heard this. You've seen the manger scenes. We, we know of this. Many of us know of this. Even those who don't believe know of this story. But I want to look at some of the symbols and show how what have become so familiar were very unexpected. So here's some of the unexpected symbols of this story. The first one we find is that they go to the city of David called Bethlehem. Now, 
It really was called the city of David by those in the Bethlehem region. If you went to Jerusalem or to Israel today and said, I want to go see the city of David, they would not take you to Bethlehem. They would take you to Jerusalem to where when David was king, where they believe he built his palace and there's the, the temple was built, all that. So it's in the old city. Now there's this portion where they call this is the city of David. But in the time, if you were from Bethlehem, you said, oh, we're the city of David. Why are they the city of David? Because David, this is where he's from. We know that David was born in Bethlehem. He was a shepherd boy on the hills. In fact, many scholars believe that he chose Jerusalem to be his, David's one who made the capital in Jerusalem because he was a shepherd hanging out in the hills around Jerusalem. He knew of the springs of water. He saw that old city, which at the time was a Jebusite city. He understood it. But so he was from this region in Bethlehem is where the prophet Samuel went and anointed David to be the next king. Which, this isn't the point of today, but there's a little unique thing, that Saul was king of Israel when they came to anoint a new king in Bethlehem, King David. A little bit of symbolism going on here in the Christmas story as well. But so Bethlehem is the first, the symbol that we know about, we have songs about it. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. And it was maybe only a thousand people, maybe a couple thousand at most, a small village. It was insignificant at the time of Christ. No one went there and said, oh, this is a great place. Bethlehem, you got to go to Bethlehem. David's from Bethlehem. The only people who cared was people from Bethlehem. It was a small little village, five miles south of Jerusalem. The prophet Micah says this in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. It says, I have it on the screen for you. But as for you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will come forth for me to be ruler in Israel. For his times of coming forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. So we have this prophecy by the prophet Micah all the way back, hundreds of years before Christ, that said, out of you, Bethlehem, you insignificant little village, There'll be a ruler who will come forth. And we find that one of the unexpected symbols is Bethlehem itself becomes this very significant symbol of Christmas. It's Bethlehem, not Jerusalem. It's a small village, not the center of the politics, not the center of the priesthood. This wasn't where you would think the Messiah will come to the place where everyone would be looking, be born somewhere around the temple. Everyone would know about it. This would, you'd come to a prominent place, not Bethlehem. But God chose to come to a small, insignificant city of Bethlehem. It's almost a reminder going back to the story of when David was anointed king. What God said to the prophet Samuel is, don't look at the outward appearance. If you were to look at the outward appearance, you would never choose Bethlehem to be the place where Messiah would come. But I believe that God wanted to use it to say it's not about the status. It's not about your significance. It's not about what you think you can make acceptable in the eyes of God. John Piper says this, the deepest meaning of the littleness and insignificance of Bethlehem is that God does not bestow the blessings of the Messiah, the blessings of salvation, on the basis of our greatness or our merit or our achievement. He does not elect cities or people because of their prominence or grandeur or distinction. 
When he chooses, he chooses freely in order to magnify the glory of his own mercy, not the glory of our distinctions. So let us say with the angels, glory to God in the highest, not glory to us. We get the joy, but he gets the glory. So the first unexpected symbol is Bethlehem. And it's about God demonstrating that it's not about the outside appearance. This Messiah is going to be about something different. The next part of the story, the next symbol that we see that's unexpected was the manger. We find that the, Jesus was laid in a manger, so he's, he, that's how he comes into the world. And I think of it as he came into a manger, not a mansion. Again, if you were going to think of a Messiah being born, you would think, okay, this better be a prominent family, probably connected to the priesthood. This, they better have something significant about them. Now, I want to talk about the manger just for a moment. This is one of our most familiar scenes. We all think about Jesus being laying in a manger, and, and we think of this idea of he was there because, what we learn in the text, there was no room for him in the inn. I want to ruin a little bit of your understanding of this story. Uh, maybe not. Maybe some of you have already thought through this. We're growing up. I remember even seeing a movie where Jesus, Mary and Joseph went into Bethlehem and they were like knocking on the door of every hotel in town. Anyone kind of have familiar with that story? And the innkeepers would open the door and say, there's no vacancy. And kind of close the door and get out of here, you husband and pregnant woman. We have no room for you. And, and that was kind of the story. And I think like, wow, and, until they, and it was snowing. I don't, and, and so they get to the place where they'd say, well, here's a barn. Well, this new, honey. And, and so they'd have their baby there in a barn and lay him in the manger. Now, th that's a, I, I like that story because it was really good. It actually has its influence all the way back from a, kind of an ancient story or recreation of fiction, uh, historical fiction about the birth of Christ. And so we still have that imagery to this day of where we've gotten some of that. But let me just tell you, the no room for the inn probably, most likely means this. The inn is not the Motel 6. It's not the local hotel. Inn is the word here, and it, there's a couple different words for inn, but this w word is most probably accurately translated guest house or guest room. It would be an extra room in the house of most likely a family member of Joseph. If you were traveling to back to your hometown, you would go and say, Go to your family and say, hey, we need a place to stay. Everyone who's registering for the census probably did the same thing. So what we find is there's no room in the guest house or the guest room when the Joseph and Mary arrived. It's very unlikely in the Middle East, in the, the Middle Eastern culture, the ancient and current today, that they would say, you know what, get out of here. You're family, but we have no room for you. Very unlikely that they would say, oh, she's pregnant. We really don't want to talk to you. Stay away. Go have your baby in the barn. It, it just doesn't quite make sense culturally. And no one ever made it really a significance of this. Luke, as the author here, just tells us there was no room in the guest house. So he was born in somewhere else, and Jesus was laid in the manger. Now, there's two ideas and two historical things that we are most likely. One is it was what we would think of as a stable which could have been built around or part of a cave. If you go to Bethlehem to this day, the actual place of Jesus' birth, they have where you can touch the place. I'm just kidding. There's a lot of actual places in Israel. It may be. Um, it's been a tradition for a long time. 
but it's, it is part of a cave. And if it was that place, it would have been a stable maybe built or a house built around the cave, using the cave as multiple walls to the house. The other idea that there's a lot of evidence of these ancient houses like this, where there's a house in a part of the main room of the house, there would be the front door, and essentially think of it as the lobby, was a place where you'd bring your livestock into the house at night, where they stayed by the front door, they had a couple stalls, and part of it was to protect them, the other part of it was to, they provided heat for your house. Now, while some of you are thinking, but wouldn't that ruin the Christmas candle smell in the house? I mean, wouldn't that, it would kind of mess that up. Remember, they didn't think the way we do, okay? Toothpaste, deodorant, cologne, all that kind of stuff. That's, they're, they're not worried so much about the smell of the cows in their house. But it's likely that it could be a main room of the house where there's a place where the animals come in at night. And a manger, the feeding trough, is probably carved into the floor right there. So if that's the idea, the story is the family said, oh, no, the guest room is packed. You're about to have a baby. That's not the best place for you. That's not where you want to have a child. It's not sanitary. Let's put you in the barn. <laughs> Sounds fun, but let's have you come into the main house. Even if it is the barn, the idea is the same. The stable is we can create a space for you. When a baby's born, laid in the manger, it's already perfect size for a baby. One of my kids, when he was first born, slept in a dresser drawer for a couple months when we were moving. So it's been done before. But the symbol here isn't that they were rejected, but it's actually that they made room for him. But notice this. It ended up being in a manger. Who would ever think when the Messiah comes, he's going to come in this humble little place called a manger? An unclean spot around animals. And what we find was that in the king, this symbol of the manger shows us that in the kingdom of God, things were going to be turned upside down. That what you thought was a sign of power was going to be changed around. And in Jesus, we find that everything that you expected, he would flip on its head. Instead of the mansion, it's a manger. There's humility in his birth. And it's not that he came. That was a surprise. It's how he came. And he comes in the most humble of ways and in a way of saying, listen, what you thought the kingdom was about is very going to be very different. So you have the manger. We have Bethlehem. The next symbol we are familiar with in here, shepherds. The very first people who hear the message of Jesus' birth are the shepherds. Now, again, it, that's, we need that to be the case because it fits with our manger scene, our story, the shepherds, of course. But do you know how weird this would have been in the ancient world? If you were God to say, who's the best people to tell that I am now, I have arrived? Shepherds were likely, think of 10 to 13-year-old boys hanging out, watching the flock outside of Jerusalem. That's probably shepherds. They were not the ones who were the the passing the classes with straight A's in their, you know, their uh, Bet Sefer, which is the kids' Hebrew school growing up. These are the ones like, okay, guys, uh, you're going to be shepherds. Go out in the field. Likely also, most likely, they were considered unclean because they're around animals. So you have these unclean young boys who are shepherds out in the field, and God says, I'm going to announce the arrival of my Messiah. Who should I tell? The angels in heaven would have said, oh, Go tell the priests. Raise up a prophet. 
find somebody who people will listen to. He says, I got it. Shepherds. Shepherds is who will tell first. Could you imagine what that looked like in heaven? I mean, the, the angels are probably like, um, okay, I know you know all, but again, shepherds, are you sure that's who we're going to start with? And the angels appear and they proclaim that Christ is born. The unexpected symbol of the shepherds instead of priests, I believe, is we're seeing right away that the Messiah was coming for the broken, for the hurting, for the outcast, for those who are told that God, that you're not going to, you're not significant. You're not going to mount anything. You're shepherds. Stay with the animals. That's what you're good for. And the Messiah comes and says, no, actually, I'm coming for you. It brings us back to Luke chapter 5 when Jesus is speaking. He says, I did not come for the healthy, but I came for the sick because the Son of God comes to seek and save the lost. I didn't come for those who were religious elite in the temple saying, we've got it all figured out. I came for those who feel like they're at the end of their rope. That's who the Messiah is for. And the unexpected symbol of the shepherds demonstrate that. Uh, one other quick symbol I'm not going to get into is we find in the Matthew narrative is the Magi who show up. The Magi are these wise men from the east, not we three kings. Again, that was a, a creation that we have added. Uh, but the Magi were likely advisors to a king from the east, probably somewhere around Persia. Some historic uh, thoughts are even as far back to somewhere around China. We don't, we don't know. But we know it's from the east, most likely from Persia that region, the Magi come, that unexpected symbol, not going to get into all that today, but is that the Messiah is for all people, was not just for Israel. The Messiah was coming for all the earth, and we find that Matthew was very intentional about demonstrating that he will be a light of revelation to the Gentiles as well. All the earth would be changed. So some of the unexpected symbols, we have Bethlehem, we have the manger, we have shepherds, we have the Magi, we find that the Messiah is going to change your expectation. Now, so that's the unexpected symbols. Look at this next thing. It's an unexpected message. Look at the message that is given to the shepherds. Look at that in verse 10. The angels find the shepherds and said, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today there's been born to you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This word good news is where we get our word, well, good news or gospel. It's euangelion in, in Greek, and uh, we, it's a root word of evangelism. It means to go proclaim or proclaim the good news. And so they, the first thing they say is, we bring you the gospel, the good news. Now, if you were a Jew living in Israel waiting for the Messiah, and you were waiting for this message and proclamation you would hope that it's something like, here's the good news. The Messiah has been born. He's going to raise up, get a huge following, and soon we're going to overthrow Rome. You're going to get your nation back, and once and for all, we're going to have our national identity. We're going to be strong, and that's, that's what's going to happen, once and for all. People's hearts are going to return to God. We're going to, the temple's gonna, the sacrifice is going to be strong. We're all going to follow the Ten Commandments. It's going to be great. But what's some good news? What's the good news? Look at this. 
the good news was today in the city of David was born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Christ is the Greek word for Messiah, the anointed. The Messiah, the Lord, Yahweh in flesh. The good news is God has shown up. And so the message that they were hoping for was turned a little bit. And they started thinking through then, oh, what did that mean when the prophet told to Isaiah his name will be Immanuel or God with us? Would it mean that he will be called mighty God and the government will be on his shoulders? What did that mean? That what, Are you saying that God just showed up? And the good news, the unexpected message wasn't that we're going to have this religious revolution and we're going to go back to our roots of our, our religion and our faith, but it was God has arrived. When we think of the Christmas message here today, I know for many of us, we think, oh yeah, it's Jesus came. But how often do you think of the good news is that God is with us? How often do you go throughout your days and say, wait a minute, are you kidding me? God with us? He is present? That, that news should just cause us to fall over in our chairs. It should cause us just to think, God, wait, you are here. Why would you want to be here? Why would you want to be with me? Why would you go on this journey? But the, the good news is that he is here. Amen. He's present. How many of you this year have needed to be reminded of that truth a few times? When you look around and maybe you have said, uh, God, where are you? <laughs> or what is going on? So the unexpected message was that God has shown up. Then we see the unexpected results. Check this out. The, and, and, and this is also interesting. It said, oh, Christ, the Savior has been born. Here's the sign for you. You'll find him laying in a manger. And, and so then the angels, suddenly a huge host of angels show up. They bust out in this great worship session. There, Tomlin was there writing down, like, words. To, later it's going to be a CD. And, and it says, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he's pleased or on whom his favor rests or whatever your translation has, essentially what it says, glory to who? To God in the highest. And now peace will come to those who experience God's favor. And the big question here is, what does that mean on whom he is pleased or who his favor rests? We believe that Jesus comes and the favor of God is open and available to anyone who will receive it. And if you receive it, you experience this favor. And what is this favor? It's peace. We experience this peace. The angel said that, and the shepherds left and said, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see this thing that the Lord has made known to us. By the way, when they show up and they see Jesus laying in the manger, uh, we've taught on this in years past, but one of the interesting things is if Jesus was anywhere other than a manger, the shepherds would not have been allowed to see him. They were unclean. If he is where the animals were, that was the one place they were able to be. Again, the symbol of you are welcome here at the foot of the Savior. 
So the shepherds go, they see this thing, and they're amazed. They tell Mary about everything they've heard, and she treasured this in their heart. And they go out, and the shepherds start telling everyone, the Messiah was born today. He is here. And the unexpected result of this message was peace. You may experience peace. Today in our Advent season, we lit the peace candle. Maybe in your yard or in your house somewhere, you have peace on earth and goodwill to men. Maybe you've seen it around town. You've heard it in songs. As we end today, I just want to think about a couple things about what does that peace really mean? What's the application of this? If Jesus was demonstrating that he was doing things in an unexpected way, and the unexpected message and the unexpected result is actually we may have peace with God, you might think, well, how is that unexpected? See, the idea of when they thought when the, mes- the Messiah would come, at the very least, it would be this political victory. Maybe it would be a religious victory. Maybe it would be, finally, our people will be better at living out the law. But he says, no, there's going to be peace. There's two types of peace. The first is this, peace with God. Believe that if you receive the Savior, you may have peace with God. When we see that Jesus arrived, we start thinking back and look at all these prophecies in Isaiah chapter 53, for example. It says that he was stricken for, he bore our sins. The weight of the world was placed upon his shoulders for you and for me so that we may have peace with God. So the Messiah comes and the angels proclaim that there will be peace on earth from, on those from whom his favor rests or those who receive the favor of God. And again, it's not because of your prominence, because of your status, because of anything. It's because of what God has chosen to give to you because he is good and merciful. And the glory goes to him, not to you and your good works. And you may have peace with God. If you are here this morning and you feel like your life is got putting you at odds with the Savior, if you feel like the decisions you've made, the things you've said, the things you have done has made it so God has put you at arm lengths and said, I'm no longer at peace with you, you can rest assured today that the message of Jesus is your forgiveness will never be taken away. His grace outdoes your sin. Amen? So you can have peace with God. And finally, if you have peace with God, you can experience the peace of God. You know, this year, I wouldn't define this year as a year of peace. If you look back at 2020, how many of you would say, oh, you know, it's been just like such a peaceful, just calm year. (laughs) We've had everything from COVID. We've had racial tension. We've had politics. We've had it all. I look back at this year and I think just the different things that I've been able to experience as leading a church and and as our team has experienced leading this church. Decisions of how do you stay open? Do you close? How do you close? What What does that look like? How do we do online ministry better? How do we... How do we help people feel safe? How do we actually peop- keep people safe? What, what are all the different things we need to do? This year I've had been able to wrestle with that with our elder board and 
the staff to figure those things out. This year, I actually, I, I had someone who I don't even know wanted me to get fired because I said too much about racial injustice at, online. And it, so I, I had my first attack on social media. That was good. I was like, oh, finally. I, thought, I heard that happens, but it's never had. And I had that this year. said, oh, you need to fire this guy. And I thought, okay. We've had people who said we didn't say enough about racial justice, so they left the church. We had people say, you said too much about it, so they left the church. We had people say, we don't like the way you're uh, responding and following all the COVID guidelines, so we're going to go to another church that's not. And then we had people say, we're not coming because you're not strict enough on your COVID guidelines. And so this, I would not look back in 2020 and say, peace, year of peace. And I'm reminded, and I, this last couple months, I've been really challenged with, God, what does peace look like? Because I know you promise it. What does that mean? And peace is not the absence of conflict or the absence of any of that. And I really feel in the last month or so that God has really just been able to bless me with, God, Ryan, would you start to remember and believe what you teach? Would you rest in who I am? And I was brought back to two verses. They're both in Philippians. One's Philippians 4, 6. says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Notice this verse. When it's saying be anxious for nothing, doesn't mean never feel anxiety or anxiousness or anything like that. It's saying don't dwell, don't let that be what you dwell on. But know that when you are anxious, when you are depressed, when you are fearful, when you are angry, when you are frustrated, when you have people calling for your head, when you have all of this, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And notice the result. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart. Notice it doesn't say, and then God will take away all of the chaos. Because if that's how it worked, I think we would have been done with this by like March 14th. Amen? <laughs> but he says, I'll guard your heart. The peace of God. Because you start to remember who you are. You start to remember that you're my child. I love you. My beloved. And we will never understand the depth of what it means to be beloved. But the peace of God guards your hearts. The second verse from Philippians as well. Oh, so the result of that, let me challenge for you today, is so pray. Be people of prayer. Are you spending more time complaining or praying? I'll answer that for you. It's complaining. So <laughs> what if we became people of prayer? Instead of presenting our request to God watching his peace guard your heart when we start to see what really matters. And the second verse that I loved is in Philippians 4, 8. It says, finally, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think of these things. And as a worship team, I invite them to make their way back up. How many of you this year would say, oh yeah, I've been dwelling on, 
whatever is true and honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy. That's what my mind has been dwell dwelling on. Or have you been dwelling on? What does the governor say this week? What are the numbers today? Who's winning this election? What's the latest conflict? What city is on fire? Who's, who's fighting who? What's going on? Where's your mind dwelling? I've been challenged in this year to one, to pray more, and two, to dwell more on the things of God. To train my mind to think of the things that are excellent and praiseworthy. To train our minds to think differently. The rest of that verse is this. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. We know that the God of peace is with us. But all of a sudden when our minds, we train our minds to set our focus and our hearts on Jesus, all of a sudden they open up and we say, you've been with me the whole time? Wait, you are here walking me, walking with me through 2020? Are you kidding me? And all of a sudden, all of our priorities start to shift. Our focus, our what we're dwelling on, everything is different. So my challenge for us, if we want to experience the peace of Jesus this year, this unexpected message was that his presence is what brings peace. So let's give our hearts to him in prayer and let's train our minds to dwell on the things of God and who he is. And let's watch all of the chaos fade away. We can walk through the chaos to be in the presence of the King. Let's pray. I want to invite you to stand with me as we pray and, and respond. Lord, we stand now, we stand in honor of you. Lord, we don't sit back just watching, but God, we stand in honor of you now. The King who is here. And Lord, we want to take everything that has been thrown at us this year and everything maybe we're experiencing this morning. There might be some who are facing some financial insecurity and job security and maybe health issues or maybe family conflict. Loneliness, depression, anxiety, anger. We take all of those things right now, Lord, and we put them at your feet. And with a heart of thankfulness that you will take all of that upon you. Lord, a heart of thankfulness that you came down into the mess. Lord, we lay it before you now. God, would you let us experience the peace which is Christmas? your presence. Let your peace guard our hearts, Lord. We give you our hearts in Jesus' name.